Force O'Neill, thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 221 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're going to talk about vaccine hunters. Uh, also, we're going to talk about Oregon decriminalizing hard drugs and Dolly Parton, should she get the Medal of Freedom? Before we get to that, though, live from the Les Schwab Studios, Let's get to this uh, pretty cool story happening here in Seattle when it comes to housing. A lot of times we don't hear pretty cool stories about housing in Seattle. We hear about tents. We hear about the fact that, well, building affordable housing is not affordable to build. I'm going through that myself, and I know a lot of you are too. But there still are a lot of people here in the city of Seattle that are trying to figure it out. If we're going to be higher, denser, if we're going to grow and grow together. How can we make it affordable for the least of these among us, and not just the least of these, for somebody that's working three jobs and you're in the service industry here in Seattle, and maybe you're a barista somewhere, you're going to school, and you're a bartender, and on the other side, uh, maybe, maybe you also happen to be gay. Maybe you're transgender, and as a result of that, even in a place like Seattle, where we like to think we're so progressive, it can be very, very difficult for people, the gay, lesbian, transgender community to find housing. So this is an interesting thing to think about uh, because of the setup that you just gave. There's an organization, this is in the Seattle Times, called Queer the Land. And so they got tired. Called what? Queer the Land. Queer the Land, okay. Uh, they got tired of what we've been talking about for 15 years on the on the radio. And that is waiting for the city or waiting for a, a nonprofit to generate housing units. And so we talk about this all the time where it's like, supposedly there's this big fund that people pay into that are developers. It never really seems to trickle down into actual affordable housing units. And there's this, this, this big Rube Goldberg machine that just sort of passes the blame around in a circular. And so Queer the Land just is like, you know what? Tired of it. We're just gonna go buy our own place. Mm. So they have purchased uh, a place and it has 12 rooms in it. And as you said, these are for uh, LGBTQ people. And there's a whole program there. And there's a lot of you know things that are happening in terms of food and job insecurity and training and all the stuff that you mentioned. But here's the thing I want to discuss with you. How many people or how do you think we should think about a house that if it was on your block were 12 people all of a sudden are inhabiting a, a renovated house. This is not an apartment complex. This is not a, a, a thing where there's 12 units. It's 12 rooms. In It's a big house, obviously, but it's 12 people. And that means they are, they're allowed to have friends. They're allowed to have to date somebody. Uh, you know, this isn't prison. So you could be talking about, you know, let's just say conservatively, 20 people or so coming in and out of this place at any given time. If that's in your neighborhood, how should we think about this solution um, to a problem that you articulated great right off the top? 
Yeah, well, this is... On, on Wednesdays and Friday mornings, I used to drive down to Cherry Street. I five to Cherry, get off at Cherry. And I would teach these spin classes at a, a studio, a yoga spin studio, at a place called Live, Love, Flow. And when I would go down there, I would see just hordes and hordes and hordes of tents and people sitting out on the curb. And just through the course of the day and the night, watching the city of Seattle show up at their services, watch a lot of these folks tie up a lot of resources. Uh, and as a result of that, um, it was heartbreaking. And it also made me really angry for lots of different reasons that I'm not going to go to go through here. Because of COVID, right before COVID, I kind of retired. I said, you know, we have so much stuff going on with real estate. My son is a very active 10-year-old, and I want to be able to really – you only have so many minutes and moments and I want to spend this time with him. So I ordered a stationary bike and I have a bike downstairs. I'm like, I'm just going to ride from home. I've given 20 years to that. I probably have eight more years in the house with my son. So I'm going to invest time in that. So I drove down, I was down in that area yesterday. I had to go pick up something for one of our clients. And I, and I drove by those same areas. And in those areas, it's, it's some of the same tents. In fact, one of the Coleman tents, it's the same exact tent. It's some of the same people because I would see them week after week, month after month, year after year. Some of the same shopping carts. All those police officers are gone now because they got rid of uh, a lot of those teams. And it's as bad as it's ever been. I was driving around the city and I used to think, what a beautiful city this is. And it it was a beautiful sunny day when I was driving around yesterday. This is no longer a beautiful city. This city throughout the whole city is a garbage dump. It is just a garbage dump. And I think what we've done, and whether it be with this kind of housing or other kind of, they proved this in White Center a number of years ago. I don't know if you've ever saw the Section 8 housing that was in White Center. Uh, It looked like a penitentiary. They proved this in places like Chicago and New Orleans where you had the projects. And after Katrina, they were able actually to go in and, and, and take the projects down. What they learned is when they just give people housing and the people have no say in what the housing is going to look like and they have no say in is it, who's going to mow the lawn, they just something is given to them that a lot of us, and this includes me, I notice this, this with my son when I give him something and it's too easy, he never takes care of it and he doesn't appreciate it. But if you put a little skin in the game, like when you see some of the Lego creations around my house that my son has built and created, he has them on display all over the house because he has spent time. He has spent hours. He is, he, is, he, is, he, he has skin in the game. And, and when I look at housing, I think what we should do, and what they did with some of the housing down in White Center, which is great, is they went to people that were lower income and said, What color would you like your house to be? We have five different places we could put your kitchen. Where would you like your kitchen? Would you like a single stall for your garage? Or do you think having a double stall makes more sense? Or would you like more yard space for your kids to play? Where would you like your kids to play? And so what they did in some of these discussions and with some of the community organizers is not only were people invited to choose the type of housing that they'd like to live in, but then they were invited to then participate in the building of those homes. And we see that with beautifully with Jimmy Carter now 
for years and years and years. So I think just creating programs where we just create cookie-cutter housing and we give that away to people, I don't think it serves them. I don't think it serves us. I don't think it serves the community. But if we were to take some time and allow people to participate, and those that can't, believe me, some of the people down on Cherry that are living on the streets and been there, for, they can't participate because of their addiction issues or mental health issues. There's all kinds of, there's so many different reasons and it's so complex. But there are people out there that if you give them an opportunity and say, hey, would you like to participate in this? Go look at that housing in White Center compared to the old Section 8 housing. It's still Section 8 housing. But it looks so much by your. It looks so much better by your home down in Burien that you purchased down there. You look at the Section Eight housing down there. It doesn't feel like Section Eight housing, uh, and still, some it's a little cookie cutter, and it has to be because of the cost. You can't sit there and build custom homes for people. But uh, but but I wish that we would provide an avenue for people to participate. I've just I just know in my own life when I participate when I have some skin in the game. I care more, I take care of things, uh, and I do better. And I think that's what we need to do here for the LGBTQ community, and really especially for communities of color and for people out there that are suffering from mental illness, addiction, and everything else. We do not have a long-term plan or vision, and I think that that should be a part of it. All right? Great topic, great story. Let's talk more on the other side of this. It's just like talking to a longtime friend. They are so fun and they were so fun to work with. When it comes to your real estate journey, you need an expert team and a playbook. The Ron and Don Playbook. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I've bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime. So I was just so impressed at how all in they were from the very beginning. They knew what we were going to need to do in order to get the house that I wanted. And they were absolutely committed to making that happen for me. So responsive. And I would hear from them if they needed something for me immediately. If I called them, they would answer. They were super responsive. Uh, Dawn was a bit of a magician, being that like there was things that nobody knew the answers to. It was remarkable, and I would get the call, hey, I was able to get the plans, the plans that if we don't get, we don't buy this house. And I get the call, and there's four boxes of plans. It was amazing. The sale price was 55K over ask, and that just blew us away. We were absolutely ecstatic. Thanks to their skill to negotiate, we are so grateful and so happy and so pleased. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. I really felt like I could trust them. They made some promises on some mm -hmm. things that, and they delivered on them with no questions mm -hmm. asked, you know, and they came through. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. People ask me, how do you put up with these two? My answer, good snacks and video games. 
All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Uh, I'm excited because I know that my mother will be getting vaccinated soon. Nice. Yeah. And I was also very excited because some of our clients who are older clients have been vaccinated. And I can just tell in the tone of their emails how relieved they are. Yeah. And there's one couple in particular, and they're probably listening to this podcast right now. I'm not going to, I won't say their names. But they know how much we care about them, and I think they care about us, and we have a great, great friendship. Uh, and and when when we went to visit them and look at their home, and we we're all socially distanced and masked and gloves and everything, we just in the early days of the pandemic, you could feel the stress and anxiety. And now that they have been vaccinated, uh, there's a real freedom for them in that. I know for my mother, who's very, very brave, and she's been living alone and isolated, and she's battled breast cancer, so she has underlying conditions because of that. Um, I know she's looking forward to to this happening, uh, and she lives, my mom lives in New Mexico. I was talking to a friend of mine who's been volunteering at a clinic last night. She's a nurse practitioner, and she said the biggest problem that we're having at these clinics is we just will be in the middle and just say, I'll, I'll go and volunteer for five or six hours because there ha- there's a real shortage of people out there that can administer the shots. So they're asking, and she doesn't even, she doesn't even work in that field anymore. She works in a completely different field. Uh, she said they run out of vaccine constantly, just constantly they run out of vaccine. She was also at the clinic the other day when the refrigerator broke. She was working there, and they're looking around, and they're going, wow, we need people. We need arms right now because these, these vaccines. Um, Spoil in like two hours. Yeah. And so what has happened is the lines to volunteer are very, very long. And the reason they're long is because when something like that happens – uh, they are looking for arms to vaccinate people. And also, if you're a younger person and you volunteer at one of these big clinics, they're going to vaccinate you just because you're going to be around other people and they don't want you to have COVID or spread COVID or because you you might be standing in line for a very long time before you get vaccinated. And then the vaccine can take two to four weeks. And I, I'm not a medical expert, but it doesn't start working right away. It, t- it, it takes time. She said, that she has friends that don't have underlying conditions that have been contacting her because they just want to get on planes and they want to travel around the world. And she said, it's disheartening because you would not believe the, the, just a number of my friends and then people I don't even know that have been contacting me, wanting me to bring vaccine home and to vaccinate them so they can get on with their lives. Here's what I don't, I I have friends that are younger that have have underlying conditions. I want to, and you know some of them, I want to see them get vaccinated because I think their health could really take a turn for the worst if if something were to happen and they were to catch COVID. But for people that are perfectly healthy, that have great immune systems, that don't have any underlying conditions, and they are trying to push themselves to the front of the line in fact, I had someone reach out to me the other day that's a vaccine hunter and wanted to know if I wanted to get vaccinated. And I was disgusted by it. I just said, absolutely not. Because I wouldn't want to take that shot away from our clients that just got vaccinated. 
I wouldn't want to take that shot away from somebody that has an immune system that is an underlying condition. I wouldn't want to take that vaccine away from my mother. And what people say is, well, they're throwing all these vaccines away anyway. I think what's going to happen here, the Biden administration announced this week, what we're going to do is we're going to take vaccines now and ship them straight to pharmacies. And in talking to my friend that's administering these vaccines, she said, you know what? That's a great idea. That will work. Because there's currently, as we're, as we're recording this podcast, 19 million vaccines that are out there somewhere that aren't in people's arms because they've been stockpiling these vaccines. And it's very apparent that there, there is no state-to-state coordination. And there certainly is no federal coordination. So they're trying to figure that out. So I don't, if, if, if someone that goes and volunteers and they're young and perfectly fine, I get them getting a vaccine or when the refrigeration goes sideways or for somebody that's younger that has an underlying condition. But for the guy that reached out to me that said, hey, I'm a vaccine hunter uh, and I can help you get vaccinated. Do you want to get vaccinated? That was really disgusting to me. You think I'm overreacting? Um. Not overreacting with that. You you get to feel the way that you feel. I do. I don't judge harshly people if they legitimately were going to throw away doses. There are people that like go. I'm going to go stand in line or just wait at a location where the vaccine's being done. If they make it through their entire day of appointments and there happens to be four doses left, because if you remember, these come in vials, and depending on how skilled the person is at drawing out the exact amount, there's a little bit extra in each bottle, because you want to get the full dosage, and you have to like get the air bubble out of a syringe. Mm-hmm. So there's a little micro millimeters that come out, or milliliters, when you're just clearing the, the air bubbles in a syringe. So, but if you're really good at drawing that out, you might be able to stretch an extra dose out of that bottle. So if at the end of the shift, there are an extra five or 10 doses and someone's been waiting there uh, and can get that dose, it's better to me than throwing that in, in the garbage. I think that's an honest way to do it. If there's someone that's fabricating an underlying condition or doing some sort of angle shot or line jumping. Yes. I agree with you. That's disgusting. If someone's like, Hey, I'm going to roll the dice here. If there is an extra dose that was going to be thrown away and I can take it, then I'm going to wait for eight hours and get that. I don't, I don't have a problem for that, that person. Yeah. Because if, if the eight hours elapse and like, we don't have any extra doses and you're like, all right, I guess I'll come back tomorrow. Like the, the person is being there and they benefit from just a logistics error, if you will. I don't have a problem with that. No. Let's talk more on the other side of this. Let's get it done in 2021 with Ron and Don. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. We're going to do something called headlines. I'm just going to hit Ron with some headlines and get his reaction to it. Dolly Parton is going to do her first Super Bowl commercial. In fact, by the time you listen to this, she already did her Super Bowl commercial. uh, And I've listened to it online. It's a version of 9 to 5. Uh, We also finding out that President Donald Trump offered her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He also offered that to a lot of golfers. And then he offered it to Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick said, I don't want it. Dolly Parton is saying, well, you know what? Someone I loved and cared about was sick. And then also COVID hit. It sounds like she wants the Medal of Freedom. 
If you're Joe Biden, do you dial Dolly Parton up and say, hey, I know that President Trump offered you the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice, and it's not that you didn't want it like Bill Belichick. You wanted it, but you couldn't come to the White House, and she wasn't going to come to the White House because she's very COVID-concerned, unlike some of the other people that went to the White House and got the Medal of Freedom. Uh, what do you say if you're Joe Biden? Do you dial up Dolly and say, hello, Dolly? Uh, I got a medal. Dolly Parton should get every award that you can get. <laughs> She's just fantastic. I don't know if you saw the documentary on her that's out right now. Mm-hmm. She's just an incredible human being. And, what, do you, and, what do you love about her? Well, the life journey. Like she really did grow up uh, poor in Appalachia and like the coat of many colors came from her life. Uh, and you think it just the, the sheer talent and tenacious spirit that she has and an inclusiveness in an industry country music that has not always been inclusive especially at the time that she came up and and the relationship with porter wagner and like how he tried to control her and really how she deftly navigated that to go out on her own and not be ostracized by someone that had a lot of clout in the industry she's remarkable and and then to turn embrace uh you know people that are not accepted in the south or in country music i.e gay people trans people like uh, this whole community that she has embraced in her show and then to be outspoken about it when there's a cancel culture in country music like with the dixie chicks and who are now just the chicks uh that that pounces on anybody that is not towing the line dolly parton has gone by the beat of her own drummer for a long time and she's just a good person why is that when you go to like a u2 show you you and i went to u2 shows together when we were very young and then if you went to a show now you look around and it's mostly like dudes and gals that are our age but you don't see a big resurgence of young people with her though it's different it's like she has all these people that loved her from the 70s and 80s and nine to five but then there are so many young people out there that are discovering her for the first time and Led Zeppelin for the first time. Hopefully, they'll discover John Denver for the first time. I don't know. Holding out for this. What is it about Led Zeppelin and what is it about Dolly Parton that you think so many people are connected with? My son loves that. He's 10. He loves Led Zeppelin. He said he told me the other day, Daddy, have you heard of this band called Led Zeppelin? Both of the artists that you just mentioned, yeah. it's the catalog. Yeah. They just have great songs mm. and that, have, that just have the last the test of time. That's so like uh, when I find an art, like a Chris Stapleton, when you hear him or Adele, you're like this is, this is timeless music. Like this, I can come back to uh, a Chris Stapleton record in 10 years or 15 or 20 years and it's still going to be a great song. It's not trendy. It's just solid song. And that's Dolly Parton. Like you listen to Code of Many Colors or you listen to even 9 to 5. The message rings true. The singing rings true. The songwriting rings true. She wasn't super gimmicky. Uh, and, you know, you think of what was it, Tammy Wynette, like the D-I-V-O-R-C-E's. Like there were these novelty oh, songs deep. that were clever songs and a lot of times that's the country music thing i'm just gonna be clever i'm gonna write about my truck i'm gonna write about my dog i'm gonna write about my train uh and there wasn't dolly parton her songs about life and so they just live and same with led zeppelin in a way it's just great it's one of the greatest rock bands ever and so when you listen to it they're still great songs yeah thing i like about her she had a mu- a country music 
Christmas special this year and because of COVID, it was just her sitting on a bench and she had her guitar and she was playing some of her songs. Then she was introducing some of her songs, but explaining where the songs came from. And it's different when you have a country artist that writes their own material, specifically in country, because I think country country artists are some of the best storytellers ever. And you can always tell when a country artist is recording somebody else's song, and you can always tell when they've written that song about that coat. And that's why I think she has resonated with people for so long, now heading into her 70s. And, and people would discount her and they'd say, well, it's because she has big boobs or because she's hot or because she's blonde or she probably cheats on her husband or she's probably in an open marriage, uh, which none of that was true. Uh, but that was just, well, some of that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on uh, to the next topic. Uh, Oregon, they have decided that when it comes to harder drugs now, we are not going to criminalize that. We're going to decriminalize it, and we're talking about hard drugs. We're talking about cocaine. We're talking about heroin. We're talking about meth. We're going to try to get you help because making people criminals just makes them go more underground and just become better criminals. They say we're stopping that junk in the state of Oregon. Uh, what do you think about what Oregon's doing? I mean, I have, I, I could talk about this topic for a long time, but I will boil it down. This may be the, the shortest answer ever for this. I'm, I'm willing to go longer if you want to. Has the war on drugs worked? Captain Sir Tom Moore. From the United Kingdom. Served his country admirably, over 100 years old. He did the garden challenge a number of months ago for COVID uh, when he got in his walker and he walked the length of his garden and he raised $1.5 million online for COVID patients and for frontline workers. He is now raised as a result of his story going viral on the internet. And here's one of the good things about Facebook and Google and everything else that we hammer so so often. It's a really great vehicles to tell stories like his story and to also help raise money for worthy causes. The queen, and I don't know if you've seen pictures of her, she is starting to realize that she is not going to be around forever and she is really showing her humanity. There's a story about her in People Magazine this week that's fantastic about her always guarding her privacy but how awesome she really is. There's a picture of her, and she has a sword in her hand, and you think she's chopping off at the head of a 100-year-old. She's not. She's knighting him. So he is now knight and captain Sir Tom Moore. He just passed away from COVID. Yeah, those stories are always um, melancholy, of course. They're inspirational and melancholy, and, and you see... There's something, if you've ever, well, you've been to England. I mean, you're a world traveler. <laughs> There's something uniquely in my, in my travels, uniquely charming about uh, British people of a certain age, mm -hmm. men and women. There's, they just have a, they, they live through some stuff. 
They were raised in a specific culture that I don't think no longer exists. Mm. And, uh, you know, coming from an empire that no longer exists. And so men like that, I, I just, I have a, a great deal of respect for that. They, they, he lived, he lived a life and, and, uh, that, that will never happen again. Like that life, that hundred years, um, there's, there's never going to be another hundred years like that again. Yeah. Two more headlines for you, then we'll get out of here. Uh, speaking of the military, uh, this is Dateline Washington, and this is from Reuters. It said newly confirmed U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier this week. Uh, in fact, on, on I think it was episode 220 of Trooper Nolan Washington, who's a black police officer, Washington State Patrol. Lloyd was a general in the United States Army, retired, and... Now, President Biden has brought him back to be the defense secretary at the Pentagon. And he has announced a 60-day stand-down because there is white nationalism and extremism, and it's military-wide in all their ranks. What do you think is going on here? Is this, as you know the way it's going to be framed with some people, hey, Put a black guy in charge, and now we all got to stand down because we're all extremists. Uh, or do you think there's a real problem? Well, there is a real problem. There absolutely is. Uh, and I think this is a really interesting move. I, I, I want to see how they go about doing this. But who would argue against this? What, what's the other side Every of this? Every single person, that the tens of thousands of people, a fifth that were... Soldiers, Marine, Airmen, and sailors that were at the United States Capitol a couple weeks ago. They would, you they, want white they supremacists? Not, they not only would argue against this, they, they, they would pick up, pick up their battle flag and they would die for this. I, I, you're right. I'm just saying philosophically, how do, how do you take the other side of that it's not a good idea to get rid of this within law enforcement in America? Like, it's, it's a great idea. So I, I applaud that, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. All right. Finally, uh, Donald Trump and his impeachment, you know he wants to talk, and they said, hey, why don't you come talk? Bill Clinton, he talked during his impeachment. Would you like to talk? If you're Donald Trump, if you're one of his advisors, would you tell him to talk? Because after all, he used to have 100 million followers on Twitter. He had 74 million people that voted for him. He's say what you want, but he's very persuasive. He has to be. He became the president, didn't even think he could become the president. And now in a couple of years from now, if he if the impeachment is not successful, then they can't have that second vote of saying, hey, you can never hold office again. So it's one of the reasons why Republicans right now, like Mitch McConnell, are going, if I impeach this guy, then do we lose Republicans in the House and the Senate because they support Trump? And it's pretty clear that Mitch McConnell is willing to take that gamble and say, this has been a bridge too far. I have open ears. So he's signaling to other Republicans, let's be open to this impeachment because then we can take that second vote and we can make sure we don't have to deal with him in 2024. The Twitterverse has been taken away from him. Facebook has been taken away from him. But boy, you have a national stage to get on there and speak in the way that Bill Clinton did. I did not have sex with that woman. We'll all remember that. That was him testifying in his impeachment. And let me say this. After Bill Clinton testified in his impeachment, his likable rating went through the roof. In fact, with women, it was 64%. If I'm an advisor for the 
for Donald Trump, I'm saying, can we hire a proofreader? <laughs> you have to explain why before we get out they of here. They can't get through the first line of their rebuttal. They misspelled the word United States. Like, come on, man. They, they spelled United wrong. Yeah, it's like, it's just get a proofreader. Hey, you guys, if you want to reach out with it to us, uh, with us, I'm sorry about that. That's funny. Uh, we do something called a Ron and Don sit down. Yeah, right? you can reach me, Ron, at windermere.com. Go get our, our playbook for a buyer or playbook for a seller right at ronandonsitdown.com. You can even book a, an appointment instantly, ronandonsitdown.com slash calendar. Yeah, and we're talking to clients in Everett. We're talking to clients in Normandy Park here in Seattle, right here on Queen Anne over on the east side. And we would love to have conversations with you too. All right, so if we can be a part of your team, let us know. And just because we sit down doesn't mean you got to hire us. Uh, just means that we'll share a cup of coffee, some early morning laughs, and you'll get to see what I look like in a Cubs hat. All right. Yeah, com. We love you guys. Thanks for giving us straight, uh, great lives. Thanks for trusting us. And uh, we're going to see you next time for episode 222. Only! Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Dawn Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>